This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio, a special edition, a live edition, live from Buffalo, New York. I'm Brandon Thurston. I'm Chris Harrington. This is a... a laser disc enthusiast that I found. Yeah, you know, I'm trying to move to a new house right now, and uh, this involves putting as much stuff as I can in storage. And so I carried a a tub of laser discs to the storage unit on Tuesday, and I think I broke my shoulder. Did you? So I I think uh, my time in the sun with laser discs might have finally reached its uh, need. Might be in its nadar. What what is your most recent laserdisc purchase? Oh, um, uh, probably Tin Cup. Uh, we discovered the, the Kevin Costner. Film. Yeah, we discovered that the movie Tin Cup was available on laserdisc for less than ten dollars. So much so that in fact you can buy maybe ten or twelve copies of the movie Tin Cup and send one to each of your friends, which uh, may be what we did. Okay, wonderful. Looks like the stream is going okay. Good. Uh, I think we have uh, two viewers, maybe even three viewers. So, you know, real exciting like stuff. Uh, so they stopped making laser discs in 2001. So oh, wow. you you can't even make a laser disc in the universe anymore. There's no laser disc factories. There's no way to like the clean room that's required for them. So I think I have a couple movies from either 2000 or 2001. Like like it's not quite that late, but like Toy Story and things you don't think about, but they're on laser disc. 1996. Um, that, that, that's okay. That's, but, but I know, I think there's a Nick Cage film that's, uh, one of the very last laser discs that was ever released. A Nick Cage film? Nick Cage. Oh, okay. I think I've heard of him. Yes. Not to be confused with, uh, Christian Cage, Ethan Page, or, um, yes. uh, Adam Page. Adam Page. Johnny Cage from, from Mortal, Mortal Kombat. Kombat. Yep. Yes. Uh, our, our regular co-host Chris Gullo is in Las Vegas right now. Ooh. There's a there's a Bills game though happening right now in yeah, Buffalo against the true. Washington football team. Mm-hmm. At Mookie's request, we have shut shut off the TV that is right right behind the camera because it would be distracting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but Chris Gullo is away and and joining us this uh, this weekend is uh, the originator, founder, mm-hmm. inventor of of WrestleNomics. Mookie, Chris Harrington is here. It's good to be here. It's uh, a show in Rochester on Wednesday for AEW Dynamite. And so I'm in town early and I'm doing the, you know, shaking hands and kissing babies to make sure that we have that Blue Cross Arena. Putting up posters on on the the telephone poles, right? Right out there. It says Indie Show. Come this way. And uh, like when I used to go to, I used to go come to Buffalo for, for like, um, the old school pro wrestling OSPW OSPW yeah yes. and like this was the pr- almost the proto Facebook era that back when we even still had MySpace and Friendster yep. and you would just sometimes write down all the directions to get to a show on the poster because we didn't have yeah. connected devices so right. How uh, you get there? And, and the problem with these kind of shows is a lot of them were just like go to the field at the end of the field turn on to this uh, empty parking lot and there'll be a show there tomorrow. And you're like, no, I don't think there is. And then you show up and there'll be a hundred people there. Right. Cause we were in the like golden era of wrestling. 
Yes. Uh, and people would just show up in the middle of nowhere to watch wrestling. That's when the business was hot. Business used to be hot. <laughs> now, now, now you have to book stars and <laughs> market your shows with yeah. advertisements and, well, and is, things of that nature. That is accurate. So uh, we are here at WrestleNomics headquarters. Your first ever visit to WrestleNomics headquarters. That's true. Uh, this is this is uh, Fozzie Bear here, who is uh, also joining us. He's a he's a big Bills fan, but he's uh, taking a nap right now. I think the, the game is kind of boring him. But, uh, it's exciting having a, a third co-host. It's a good yes, one. Yes, there he is. Um, so, any anything interesting in in the world of? Um, of wrestling business lately. I heard there was an AEW show in New York City recently. Yeah, we had... How did that go? It went exceptionally well because we did have the vaccine mandate for New York City. Mm. And I was not sure if we would have everybody show up. And then we went for... We had elevation taping. Then we did a two-hour dynamite. Then we did a two hours of rampage. And we mm. went up to 11.58 p.m. And when John Moxley's music hit, I went out to the floor and I looked up and I looked in the furthest corner of the arena that I could see. And there were still people sitting in the last seats at the arena and it blew my mind. So, I mean, if there was 20,000 people when we started the show, it felt like there were still 18 or 19,000 at the end of the show, which blew my mind because I really thought on a Wednesday night after about 11, a lot of people would be getting antsy and getting out of there. Yeah. So the the vaccine requirement was something that was added like two weeks before or something, a week before, right? Uh, I think the messaging that we put out, yeah. I mean, basically, when the U.S. Open, yeah. since we did this at Arthur Ashe Stadium, which, by the way, if you are a wrestling company, get a tennis stadium. They are fantastic. Good lines of sight everywhere and um nice small floor so unlike a lot of other sports that you can't really play there except for maybe table tennis um it's beautiful for that and you know you get some nice four or five hundred seats on the floor and all that so it was it was great for that but um i don't remember what the question was um I'm wondering, like, were there people who? Oh, oh, the messaging. So the USTA, um, the the US Open was there, and they had a vaccine requirement. Mm-hmm. So once you know, we're basically the same building, and and so that they they made that choice. I think it was also in consultation, probably with the New York City government, yeah. and you know, Queens and and things of that nature. But yeah. uh, we also have a vaccine requirement here for our show in Rochester. Um, so. You know, obviously yeah. people will be showing their Excelsior pass, which yes. is something I don't even had never seen in my life. Yeah. I was just like, oh, fax me. What, what's going on here? Right. Um, when, I, when someone, I have the Excelsior pass on yeah. my phone right now. Yeah. In fact, somebody was telling me that theirs expires the day of the show and they're very nervous about it. And, the and vaccine I, expires. Well, they're, they're pass. You have to, you know, click a button or something to get it, the update or okay. something with it. But I was just like, I'm, I guarantee you they just are going to say, uh, oh, okay. And, uh, that at least my experience for a lot of these venues that yeah. it, they, they're not always as they're not really scrutinizing the, the proof, but you know, I, I can't say if they will or won't. It's, yeah. it's whatever the arena rule is. We follow local and state regulations, but I mean, if we've ever been to a concert, sometimes it seems like they're IDing everyone. And sometimes it seems like they're just kind of waving people through. So right. I can't predict what it's going to be like, but uh, I'm really happy yeah. that we have that uh, opportunity to do shows here in New York. That way, these are our first New York shows. Rochester was going to be the first AEW show in New York 
back in March of 2020 right. when uh, we stopped taping after um, – I think we were in Colorado mm-hmm. or Utah, one of the two. We was back-to-back weeks yep. and um, I think it was Utah actually. I think we were in Utah and while the show was – yes, it was Salt Lake City because while the show was going on, that's when the NBA basically announced yeah. that they were doing it. And so from the beginning of the show to the end of the show was this kind of like – like we were like, oh, it's probably 80% chance we're going to go to Rochester. And then we're like, oh, it's about 70%, 60 And then by the next day, it was down to like 15%. And then shortly after that, we, we canceled the whole show. So it is a homecoming to come back to Rochester a year and a half later than I expected. But it's neat in the sense that like these are our first New York show. So this is really exciting because it's a new state, and new crowd. And we just announced uh, we're going to be going to Minneapolis, my my new town yes. of home. Uh, going in, from Rochester, where you where you're originally from, yes, and now this is the full year pay per view is in Minneapolis. Uh, I think we've announced that the Rampage is in uh, Minneapolis, okay, on and November twelfth, like, uh, okay, and and is, is there the full full gear. Yeah, so I think we announced that the full gear pay per view is November thirteenth, okay. But that is not announced what the location is for full gear. I do not recall if if it's been recall. announced or not. Okay. Uh, but Rochester is this Wednesday. Yes. Is is this a this, these are your old stomping grounds where you used to stomp? <laughs> and uh, this is a meaningful show. This was originally supposed to be the show where where Brody Lee was going to debut back pre pandemic, right? Yes and no. Um, it worked out that way. We booked the building way in advance, not with the intention Brody Lee is coming in to this mm-hmm. company. We, I think, had booked in 2019 that we were going to Rochester. We didn't negotiate with Brody's lawyer or manager for his contract until, uh, it was Miami of, of 29 or 2020. And that was like a January show. That was like our, our, um, Bash of the Beast show, I think. Mm-hmm. I remember I was wearing like a Tommy Bahama crazy hat and shirt and thing. I was like Tony Schiavone inspired gear and, I, I, we, we had a big, you know, negotiation that whole night to, to get that deal done. So, you know, we didn't know in advance, but then when we did the math, we said, Oh gosh, this could work out really well. It was also people might forget was when Matt Hardy debuted. Yes. Both Matt Hardy same and show. Brody Lee came on board at the same time and they were in some ways kind of both slotted for this similar dark order thing where we were teasing a little bit that the exalted one was coming, but it wasn't a hundred percent clear. Would that be like a broken Matt Hardy? Would that be yeah. Brody Lee? Would that be someone else that we've never even seen yet? Yes. Um, so it was certainly a, a fun time, but yeah, uh, it'll be, be neat being back. I do think that, uh, members of, of, uh, Brody Lee's family will be there. I think his brother's coming. I think his wife is coming and their kids and things. So that's gonna be really fun to just have everybody there together and, uh, might even be on camera once or twice. So that'll be neat if, uh, if they want to do that. Cool. Um, so the, the Arthur Ashe show. Yeah. The, the most highly attended AWN history. Yes. Yeah. I mean, our biggest events have been the Arthur Ashe show, the United Center show we did in Chicago. New York. Um, uh, the Newark show that we just did at the Prudential Center and then our Vegas shows. So, um, you know, the first MGM Grand Garden Arena show and, uh, probably the 
I, I, I can't remember the attendance, but the wind trust in Chicago was pretty big. And then Sears Center is pretty big. Yeah. So, you know, those the are first the dynamite too in Washington. Yes. The first dynamite we did was in Washington DC in a big NBA arena. And that was a, that was a big show too. Right. Uh, so that was, yeah. Um, but definitely a lot, lot more here. Yeah. Um, the biggest live gate too, it seems like the observer is reporting $960,000 in ticket revenue. I mean, there's 20,000 people there and you can do the math yourself yes. on what you, I've done the math you, on you would think it is. And what's nice about New York City is that it is a marketplace where you, it supports generally decently high ticket prices. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, even at only a $45 cost or $50 cost, when you take into account that we had ringside seats that you could bring home with you and things oh, like really? that. Yeah. We had about 500 yeah. custom seats there. So you, you're going to charge more on those, those kind of chairs, but um, you know, it was great. It was wonderful. I spent actually spent a lot of time walking around the crowd and on all three levels, the, the very bottom floor, the middle and the very top. I was in all of them uh, just to really get a feel for what it was like. And, it was funny because there's just lines everywhere. And sometimes it, it even seemed like people didn't know why they were in line. They were just in line. Um, but it was great. A lot. It was a lot of fun. Um, uh, Shad Khan, um, uh, Tony's dad came for the show. And so always really great to, to get to, get to speak with, um, speak with him. And yeah, it was, I, he comes to some of the bigger shows. It seems a lot of times. I mean, we, he's a very, very busy guy. Mm-hmm. And so. I think there's certain towns that he has more interest in because something, you know, he has a connection to it. Um, so whether it's Chicago or when, when we did Champaign or whether it's New York City, you know, I think it's also easier for his accommodations that he can fly in and out and be there. But no, he really enjoys seeing our big successful shows and he keeps close tabs on what's happening. He has lots of questions for everyone and he just enjoys meeting people and going around and, and he's a, He's a fun guy to have there. I mean, Tony is involved in every, um, every bit of AEWs you can imagine, but it's, it's fun to also see someone like his father who has such a great mind and also is really intrigued by what's happening. And it was, it's, it's a good experience. Yeah. See, and you're, you're doing a lot of traveling for this. You were just, uh, as you, uh, we're, we're sitting down here. We're having some pizza. You're, you've, you've been with pineapple on it, with pineapple on it. Uh, you've been bouncing around to, I don't even know what San Diego to, uh, to, to Chicago, to Milwaukee. Yeah. You, you are, uh, uh, hanging out all throughout, uh, upstate New York right now. Uh, yeah. How do, is, is the travel, that's a lot of travel. When, when, when we were doing the podcast before you were traveling a lot for your previous job. Yeah. Yep, yep. How, how it, it would be hard for me to travel this much. I think the thing that's tough is sometimes you have travel and it's more, predictable in the sense that like maybe you're going to the same hotel every week even if when i was consulting that would happen and so you can at least adapt your schedule to what it's like at that hotel when we're on the road every week it's a different hotel it's a different setup and that that can be tough and then just in terms of timing i'm really lucky that i live in minneapolis so i can fly out of an airport that is a hub to almost everywhere about the only place you can't get to in uh one stop is rochester and Jacksonville, like the, both those directs have kind of evaporated over the last uh, year and a half here. But um, beyond that, you can get places. So that's not so hard. What, what is tough was, you know, your day starts at maybe noon or one on show day, mm-hmm. goes to 
probably midnight or later. And then you might have an, a 6 a.m. flight or something. So it's like you're, you're constantly with that question of like, do I really want to go to bed for three hours or two hours? Is that going to be worse than just staying up? Are you sleeping? <laughs> on the plane sometimes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. On the weekends, like uh, normally on a Sunday. Is sleep your competition? No, no, I, I, I don't, I don't view sleep as competition. So speaking of hotels, yeah, I, I think back often to this. So, uh, and we're now just about three, just over th- three years. What's 2020, 2021 minus 2018. We're about three years removed from all in, mm-hmm. which was September 1st, yep. 2018. You yeah. and I went to Chicago. Yep. To the more, more specifically, Schaumburg. We went to the Sears Center at the time. It's now it's now called the Now Arena, but it was the Sears yes. Center at that time. Sponsor. Yep. And uh, you let me sleep on your hotel couch, mm-hmm. and uh, you you knew, and and I knew through you that there was a thing that 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 Tony Khan was doing. Nobody really in the wrestling world knew well who Tony Khan was at that time. Um. And maybe there was a thing that was going to happen. Maybe it wasn't. Who knew? But I remember talking uh, quite a bit about what the future of wrestling would be. Would this thing really work out? Would you guys really get TV? Would everything fall into place? Mm-hmm. Um, reflecting on that, how has, has AEW exceeded your expectations, met your expectations relative to maybe what you thought it was going to become in 2018? I think, obviously... You cannot set expectations and expect them, A, to have not changed because of COVID and B, uh, not evolve because of the way television worked. So, uh, I think when we came out of the gate, we did better ratings than I ever expected us to do. I think when we had the competition with NXT on a Wednesday night, that that went much differently than I would have expected it to go. What did you expect going in? I just, I, I guess I didn't think it would be something that, um, I thought it'd be a little bit more neck and neck. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't, didn't think that it would necessarily seem to just evolve in a very different pattern like it did. Um, certainly we always had plans. Hey, we want to go to New York City. Hey, we want to go to the UK, you know, and, and some of those things we've achieved, mm-hmm. some of those things we haven't achieved. And I think, um, what was really interesting during the period of time that we, had COVID is that not had COVID, but did the tapings in Jacksonville for every week show. Um, just seeing that community kind of develop because we also were trying to, you know, try the styles out of, Hey, can you do wrestling with no audience there? Mm-hmm. Hey, can you make it as cost effective as you can so that maybe you're getting two weeks of TV at a time? And so you're going in cycles of, of on and off. And that was very different. We always developed AEW to be a media property. It was always meant to be, it wasn't about house shows or other stuff. It was about creating content that would be then consumable for the fans and consumable for, uh, um, TV rights holders and broadcasters and, and so things. That's, that's really where the opportunity is from yeah. a re- revenue point of view is the TV rights fees. Uh, I think it's one of the big ones. You know, I, it's I, a media business yeah, yeah. more so than it was a live business, live event business before. Yeah. Maybe, maybe. I think, I think it evolves, you know, all the time. Like, what I say, whenever I give talks to people about the economics of wrestling, you know, the thing I spend a lot of time with them is come up with as many streams that you think they exist and going down all those ones. And what I always tell people is your best bet is study WWE, see what they're doing, see what they're successful in, talk to people that are smart and say, what are other 
businesses doing to, to, you know, monetize their content, but then also to monetize their brand. And so you, you have so much licensing you can do and other stuff. We, I don't know if I had a clear vision when we started of all the things that I wanted us to do. Now there's a lot of elements that maybe I didn't at the time, you know, NFTs were not a thing three years ago, but now people want to talk about that. So you have to, you really always have to adapt what you're thinking about. So three years ago, much more focused on, you know, running the shows, getting the TV contract, but also just the idea of like, if you build it, will they come? I was never sure of that. And I think when we got the big stars that like really people were shocked that you're not sure if there was like a fan appetite for this alternative. You just don't know how, like if, if NXT is only running, you know, a couple hundred people shows and, and WWE were kind of the, the alternative. Yeah. To, to and, and, and ring of honor wasn't, you know, blowing up at the time they were doing okay. They had done some good business with the bucks and with the Hardys. New Japan's trying to use and the new Japan was in the U S already started at that point. So, or was about to start. Um, so it, there was just a lot of interesting competition. And then also, you know, even when you and I spoke three years ago, you know, the Bucks and Cody and, and people will say, we didn't sign our contracts until such and such date. You know, that was in 2019 that they signed their contracts. So everybody says, yeah, I'm in it. I'm in it to win it. Everyone is, is, you know, smiles and joy. But when pen to paper, that's when you're going to find out, are people going to actually make moves that could, be difficult for them down the line if it doesn't work out and on the flip side um you know who else is going to want to come like you know it's easy to put names on a page and say hey this would make a great roster it's a lot harder to negotiate with all those people and make it happen so that that you know i I had a lot of uncertainty at that time about that and i didn't know how the tv business felt about wrestling you know wrestling is been hot cold in in uh tv programmers mind like, it's not like anyone doubts that Raw doesn't do great numbers. And even, even with their declines, they're still number one on cable. Mm-hmm. And those are strong numbers for any station. But there's always that perception of wrestling and the questions about how does that make people feel? And is that the direction they want to go? I mean, you wouldn't see so many of these networks spending on original programming if they were just trying to do it as cheaply as possible. Yeah. So it's clear to them that there's some other element that causes them to want to invest in things and the question was is wrestling that sort of thing that intrigues them or is it not yeah. you know I, I i've noticed some of the, the comments that punk has made since he's joined AEW about how he had some early discussions since tony it sounds like they were they were talking since very early on in, in the AEW project but he was hesitant whether you know how is this really going to go i think he had to see it happen and exist for a while before it gained his trust it's kind of along the lines of is is there sort of a, a business acceptance f- for a new wrestling product? Um, like I, I I don't know not to uh, not to not to put lavish praise on your boss, but like I don't know if there is another person who checks all of, all of the boxes in such a way that makes something like AEW possible in terms of having the sports background, being well-connected in, in the media and the sports business, and having the understanding of wrestling that he did coming up as a newsletter reader, tape trader. Um, there have been a lot, like, sort of along the lines of what Punk has, has said in, in some of his interviews, like, there's, there's like a guy that would crop up every every 30 days who want, you know, we're going to do TV, we're going to do this big thing, and, um, you know, you and I may have been called by some of these people, <laughs> uh, but this was different. Um yeah, I think it was definitely different in the sense that 
knowing the money was there was big and knowing that the money was not necessarily a, a you know, it wasn't, it, it wasn't set up like a venture capital firm where it's like, all right, now we need to cash out. Let's go. You know, it was set up with the idea of being like, let's invest, let's grow, let's build. This is going to be great. And that, that was unusual is that you don't always have that. You have a lot of people that are a little bit more get rich quick scheming in, in this kind of field. So that's tough. I think the fact that they, um, I, I, I say for a while that the authenticity of the brand came from the authenticity of the wrestlers. There's no allegiance to AEW when we started because those are just letters. What they were believing in was the experiences they had seen with the young bucks, with Cody Rhodes, with Chris Jericho or, or with Kenny Omega and so forth. Like they believed in that interactions that they had. And we traded on that. That's why we were able to sell merchandise. That's why we were able to have good pay-per-views. But, um, I can't put words in, in, um, CM Punk's mouth about how long we were talking or this or that. But certainly I was aware for a long time that he would be someone in the marketplace who might be right. And I think he is also someone who love him or hate him has always been a very authentic person and connects with people authentically. And I see that at the shows where people really, 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 you know, have a strong aptitude towards what he's doing and they're excited that he's there and they're excited that he's back in here. And so that takes a long time to kind of prove to them also that you're going to take the time to care about wrestling and any business is going to be managed and you can have two different kinds of managers and be successful with both of them and they might have a different style. So I, I don't know if I always agree. Oh, Tony Khan's the only person on earth who could possibly do this because you could do this. You just would have to manage it differently. Tony loves to be in the creative. He loves to be in the business. He loves to eat, sleep and breathe this. But I could also see someone a little bit more like the WWE model where elements of it, they say, I'm going to move over to this person and your job is to worry about this all day. And my job is to worry about this all day. And we work together to make sure we're creating this cohesive vision. So it's, it's something where we do have the right manager and we do have the right playbook and that's great i'm glad it works um but everything in retrospect is much easier to kind of have clarity on compared to when you're starting and you're going by the seat of your pants you really don't know what it is like it's just it's a blur it's it's it it just feels like every week you're just literally being like oh we're doing this now oh this is happening and like you're constantly just trying to keep up and so 52 weeks a year is tough for tv that's a lot of time for you to be spending and so you know getting the first year under your belt takes a gives you sea legs yeah um so especially in the last few months i'm just thinking about tv ratings uh nxt in april moved to tuesday that and since then aw dynamite has done really good ratings better than they were doing before mm-hmm. uh especially s- since those five weeks came to an end where you're preempted to different nights um, we've seen a lot of 1 million viewers and then mm-hmm. the key demo, which is about half of half of the total audience doing well, a lot of number one uh, on cable rankings. Mm-hmm. Um, and and when I, I listen to uh, other non-wrestling podcasts uh, like Light Shed, and they're starting to talk more and more about uh, AEW when they bring up WB and things mm-hmm. like that. And uh, to people outside of the wrestling space, uh, maybe who don't know what's going on in wrestling as well. Why, why do you think, or how would you explain to them? Why is AEW resonating? Why is there's this huge player in wrestling that's dominated 
the, the wrestling world for at least two decades. Um, but the, the, all of a sudden there's this other brand here that's coming up and it's doing increasingly well, it seems. Why is that? You know, I've had people say, wow, you're in this marketplace and there's already a big number one there. Why would you want to be in a competitive marketplace like that? And what I usually say to them is a few things. One, I think that there's plenty of market share because I think there's tons of people that want to watch wrestling and that are addressable to find your product and to consume it. So I don't think that there's a challenge there where it's like such a limited group of people like, you know, they, they try to break cricket into the U.S. every couple of years and they've huge had in India. Exactly. Huge in India, huge in, in Australia and a lot of other places, UK, but it's, it's one of those where I don't know if there's enough fans of it here to make that successful unless they really change the way it's being produced or, or, or I shouldn't say produced, but, um, marketed and, and, and introduced to everyone. And so I do think wrestling is, is unique in that sense that there's a plenty of market demand and market share that you can have. B, uh, I think that we do have different models when it comes to different elements of the business. So for instance, the way the training works, um, you know, you definitely see WWE with a very strong emphasis on hiring professional shot putters and track athletes and those sort of things and turning them into wrestlers versus AEW has found a lot of success with not only finding people very early on in their career and saying, Hey, let's do something, Julia Hart. Let's do something, uh, Lee Johnson. Let's, let's, let's continue to, to bring you in and, and, uh, uh, mold you. But most of those people are coming from the independent scene. And so when you have, you know, Eddie Kingston is one example where we brought Eddie in to wrestle Cody for the TNT title one time. That was the deal. There was no long-term goal. There was no anything else set up. And, and right on live TV on TNT too. It's yeah. Not, not like a dark thing. Yeah. yeah. Gradual, it was boom. Here's yeah. a, here's a big match. And so it, it was kind of sink or swim. And Tony was like, I love this. This is great. Let's do it. And like, that was enough. And Tony got into it. And I think that Eddie is one of those people that his, his love and charisma translates in a way that you can never teach. And so that's great. And I, I think, you know, we have a point of differentiation when it comes to stuff like that, that we have that three, we just have a different schedule. And so we're, we're creating a different working environment for people. What a lot of people say is, Hey, I really like the fact that you guys are set up to tape in this way and not in this other way. And this gives us free time on this, you know, the weekends more and it's an easier uh, schedule with fewer dates. Usually. Yeah. Yeah. For most, most of these people, that's, that's what I'd say. I mean, you're, you're still getting in the road almost every week and that's a grind. Like that's tough because, you know, it's tough to take vacation or change anything. But are you still doing house shows comparatively? Exactly. So, so I think there's that. Um, I think that. We are also, we, we have different merchandising strategy, for instance, right? Like AEW, uh, a guy like Brody Lee, I think he had four shirts put out, three or four shirts during his time. And he would talk about how he never had his own shirt once in all of WWE. Uh, you know, even the yeah, 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 that when it got over, didn't get his own shirt that said that they bootleg shirts that came out, but that's about it. And that says something to me just about also our strategy that we took in terms of, we sometimes do more is more. We, we very much have been of the mindset like, Hey, let's make sure that we, um, 
we give people the opportunity to vote with their dollars and show us what they like. And then, you know what? Print on demand means you don't have to worry so much about like, is it inventory sitting there or not? Uh, so I like that. I, you know, our YouTube strategy is something that's evolved, but I would still say in some ways it's, it's totally different than the way that WWE was doing their YouTube strategy. Our YouTube strategy is let's develop content that's going to live on YouTube. That means if you don't have cable, you can still follow AEW and you'll see original stuff. And then I can also look at the metrics and say, oh, gosh, we're really getting a huge percentage of people in India. I can now go to these people and say, look, don't tell me that AEW is new and you don't know anything about it. I can tell you lots about it. Here's how many millions of people watch it in your country. Here's uh, the things that they're saying. When you're um, talking to potential. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like in just, you know, experiencing those things. And so um I know WWE has done some internet type shows in the past, but I don't feel like they necessarily have always built a brand quite the same way we did with, with our dark and dark elevation. I guess for like in-ring programming that's yes, specifically for. Exactly. Like they put a lot of clips, like we learn a lot from WWE when it comes yeah. to I guess early how to use YouTube. Kind of be that. that was an internet only show. But yeah. Yeah. Is that exactly. So just that element of like, I feel like we're doing things different than they are when it comes to, to small parts of that. Mm-hmm. I think that we also, you, you can't have contempt for your audience. And I think it's important to like recognize when your audience is giving you feedback, what does it mean? And what's interesting is that there's some people too that the voice, the wrestlers, I think have a good voice to be able to say, I want to do this. And that's sometimes enough to get the ball rolling. So like Daniel Garcia with 2.0, you know, when he's out there wrestling with John Moxley, part of that is I think Moxley wanted to work with him, you know? And so it's that kind of stuff where it's like, Oh, there's special moments where you realize like, oh, this wrestler wanted to do this. And then we gave them an opportunity to do it. And that moves, that moves the ball forward. And that can really encourage people a lot, which isn't to say that like, you know, every movie actor would have the best scripts if they wrote it themselves. Mm-hmm. That's not true. You know, you do want to make sure that people are performing to their best, but I, I do think the idea generation part of it sometimes is a little bit different between the two companies in terms of, you know, we don't have. 50 writers. We don't have things like that. You know, Tony's very intricately involved in writing the shows. And I think it does give a clearer vision for the way he would like the show to look. So just to, to think about ratings again, um, as I was going through the line chart in my mind of you know, AW's <laughs> uh, ratings have, have been doing better lately the last couple of months. And you've added CM Punk and Daniel, mm-hmm. uh, Brian Danielson. Yep. Uh, and the, the uh, 18 to 49 demo has edged out raw by a small margin on two, two weeks in a mm-hmm. row, not this most recent week, but the two weeks prior to that. Do advertisers notice that care about that? Does the network care about that? Or is that, or is raw just another TV show in the, the grand scheme of TV shows that are on TV every week? Definitely. People notice and care about you being successful. I will say that usually the things that actually get advertisers and other people excited is not the rating story as much as it's the, we sold out the Arthur Ashe stadium or here's a famous file or, or here's a famous person who's working with the Sha- Shaquille O'Neal wrestled on our show. And here's, here's a footage of him in so that what match you're associated with is a bigger deal to them than, than the numbers of your audience sometimes. Do advertisers for sure. Like, like I don't find a lot of people saying to me, well, Ra does this and like, you know, trying to rub it in our face back. It's, it's much more of like, 
oh, are you guys really full of momentum? And we say, yeah, here's some examples of what we're doing. Like little Uzi Vert is here on the stage. And then a TikTok say, person. I don't know. <laughs> but I just mean from the standpoint of like, he, he, I think he's a rapper. And, and I, <laughs> I, I think, but it's more of like the idea that like, like those things, then people say, ah, this is something I can capture. Cause part of it, people realize is that like, it's not necessarily impossible to have a show that lots of people are watching and get paid for that. What's tougher is sometimes they really care a lot about live sports because those eyeballs might only watch the live sports. And that means those people are harder to reach versus the people that are going to sit there all day long and watch TV. Mm-hmm. So the reason that advertisers sometimes pay is that they want to capture an audience that they're not capturing with other shows. The other thing is they also want authentic things that connect with their brand and then the profile of their brand. So whether it's them saying, Hey, energy drinks is something that this demo consumes a lot of. I want to make sure I'm on the right show to push that. Um, but I think what you also have to do is to figure out how you're going to integrate that stuff. And, you know, we've done, you know, we did Bear Country versus Jurassic Express to pr- promote Kong versus Godzilla. And like that was example of kind of an interesting integration. And when we do stuff like that, that's fun because we can um really excite advertisers uh by saying, here's an unusual way for you to do this. Yeah. Like and State Farm's done a great job with us doing that. What, what is State Farm? Uh, state. You, state. Is this what you call integrating uh sponsors into into your product right? oh, i mean state farm we've done some custom things where we did super fan experiences so one of them was a, a super fan who really wanted to be a ring announcer and so we had him work with justin roberts and then he got to come to the show and then he ring announced in the in the arena and then like we had the young bucks come out and do their whole entrance and he had no idea that was happening that was really cool we did one where we had a, a super fan and this uh, is a state farm Advertising. It was a state farm so integration. This guy yeah. like proposed to his girlfriend. Is that part of that? I don't think so. Okay, anyway. but it, it, there might have been something like that. There was another one where there was a a um a woman and her her husband. They were big wrestling fans, but they hadn't been able to go to a show. And so we said, we'll bring a show to you. And so we had a molt, like a ring pull up on a truck, and then like uh, SCU wrestled. Uh, I think against Jurassic Express, okay. like in this woman's front yard. And it was great. So like those kind of things. Uh, and we just like, there's a State Farm logo there. Or- yep. Yeah. Yeah. And then they'll just say, Hey, okay. uh, this is State Farm. We do these super fan experiences. We, it's, it's just remember that State Farm is sponsoring it and like, like a good neighbor. Yeah. So that's, that kind of stuff is really fun and cool. Speaking of great sponsors, man, that was like a Jericho level segue with HelloFresh. You get fresh pre-measured ingredients, and mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door. Skip the trips to the grocery store. You can count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it is America's number one meal kit. HelloFresh offers 50 menu and market items to choose from every week, from vegetarian meals if you're a vegan like me, and calorie-smart choices if you're trying to cut like I am sometimes, to extra special gourmet options. There's something for everybody to enjoy with recipes designed and tested by professional chefs and nutritional experts to ensure deliciousness and simplicity. And guess what? The fall harvest season is officially on with HelloFresh. Count on seasonal recipes like pumpkin cinnamon rolls, Friendsgiving ready sides, as well as fresh 
high quality ingredients that travel from the farm to your front door in less than a week. Plus, get better value. HelloFresh is over 30% cheaper than shopping at grocery stores. You save money with pre-portioned ingredients that ensure you won't spend money on excess food that ends up going in the trash. No more buying a whole onion when you only need a third of it. Are you economical and frugal like me? Well, HelloFresh has you covered. HelloFresh offers the flexibility that you need to easily customize your order on the app within minutes. Easily change your delivery day, your food preferences, and your plan size, or skip a week if you need to. And we're not just talking about food that is good, tastes good, you feel good about eating, but HelloFresh is good for the world too. It's the first carbon-neutral meal kit offsetting 100% of carbon emissions. As a result, HelloFresh's carbon footprint is 25% lower than your store-bought grocery-made meals. We're talking about pre-portioned ingredients here, so you're not overbuying and you're not putting a burden on the planet or your wallet. And HelloFresh's packaging is almost entirely recyclable or already recycled content. Eating healthier has never been easier with low-cal, carb-smart, vegetarian, and pescatarian options. And no matter what you choose, every single recipe is packed with fresh produce sourced directly from farmers. So here's what you have to do. Go to HelloFresh.com slash V-O-W-1-4. Use the promo code V-O-W-1-4 for up to 14 free meals, including free shipping. No cost to you. Again, that's HelloFresh.com slash V-W-14. 14 free meals, free shipping. Because you listen to this podcast, you get those 14 free meals from America's number one meal kit, HelloFresh. So when people have asked uh, WWE executives what about AEW, um, it sort of gets downplayed as, well, of, of course, everything is our competition. Uh, Nikon specifically said, you know, sleep is our competition. Like, what, what do you... They're they're trying to to message away from the idea that there's another wrestling player out here that is I don't know a threat to them. Do do you think and, and WWE is not a wrestling company? They they try to express that they're a media company and so forth. Is is AEW a wrestling company? Is AEW do you view WWE as competition as as the closest competitor I, to AEW? I'm not answering this question as a guy who works in AEW. Or, or as AEW's view. I want to make sure that that's clear. This is Chris Heron. This is, this is just what I think. And that's important to say is that like other people might have a very different view. And that's right. And I don't know what our company's view is necessarily. To me, um, of course people are going to compare us to, uh, uh, WWE because we're both wrestling companies and, and, you know, I think we are firmly entrenched now as the second largest wrestling company in the world. I personally believe that. Um, yeah, I think in terms of revenue, that's, that's what I believe to be the case. Yes. Yeah. One thing. So, you know, we, we have a desire to keep growing and we don't want there to be impediments for us to grow. So that's always going to be part of it. Um, their competition for sure, but for us, other sporting events on television that steal your, steal either the, the mass singer, the mass singer, the challenge, the, challenge. the uh, guys grocery games, you know, like real uh, housewives of Beverly Hills. Yes. The other you know, like, uh, but I big brother. Yeah. I remember at one point that when like we were getting beat by guys grocery games and we set, we were like, and then, um, when, when they were way down on the list the other week and I, I remember sending it to, I think Cody Rhodes and I was just like, we got him. And, you know, so they are competition in that sense, but, um, they're competition for dollars for sure. And there are times that you can have a, a, 
a very large brand and they might say, well, I only want to work with either WWE or AEW. Like they, they're not going to always say, Hey, I want to sponsor both companies. Like they want to kind of plant their flag and go. So you do have to work with the fact that, you know, so advertisers, some, some business partners see that as a conflict to, to not, they don't want to work with both. Some of them. Uh, I, I, I would say there's a possibility that some brands will say I'm already spending on blank and they, they don't have an interest to just spend on both brands. They, they're going to spend on one or the other, specifically when there's some kind of a very particular type of integration, um, like, like certain services, but I, I know I'm not being very specific on that, but, but you, you do see that sometimes versus, you know, a lot, sometimes people are just, it, it's rare that people are like literally directly spending just with you. You know, a lot of times you're buying advertising on a television network and then you're working with them to where you can program that advertising. Mm -hmm. And so it's across many shows. So, you know, it's not always so much as like, oh, should I buy it on Raw or should I buy it on Dynamite? Is There's a lot of other pieces going on. Um, but uh, I don't know if, if – obviously we're competition, but we're also barometers for each other. I feel like COVID was the great equalizer when it came to the fact that like – they and us both had to run shows with no people there and then try to decide what, what does that do to your tour schedule? What does that do to your needs as a company? What does that do to your creative process? And then also, uh, now that we're both going out on the road and touring again, you know, you have that great, uh, barometer to kind of look at each other and say, Oh, well, how are they doing in these markets? How are we doing in these markets? And that can be really helpful too, to kind of get an idea of like, is this localized to what I'm doing or is this the general? You both have a show coming up at the UBS, uh, arena. We do. Long Island, very, very close to each other, less than a, just over a week. Apart. I think like nine days apart or something. Yeah. yeah. A raw and a dynamite. Um, and it looks like AEW's ticket sales are ahead in, in, at, at this point. I have no idea. I've, I've read that. I've heard that, but, uh, I don't know what WWE is selling. I don't, I don't get their ticket reports. So I would have to there's, go. There's a great, great, uh, Patreon called WrestleTicks. I'll have to, to turn you on to. I'll check it out. Um, so I guess one more thing along the lines of a comparison between AEW and WWE. Like the, the big unanswered question to me about the, f- the future outlook of, of the wrestling business. You know, the wrestling business is, is so shaped by whatever the future is going to be for media rights, especially live media rights. Um, I, I, I tend to believe that the, the future looks good for, for WWE's TV rights as uh, networks and maybe even some other non-network players like the, the major tech companies might come up and start to bid for live TV rights, then that might include WWE. I, I think their, their TV ratings are doing well enough and they're ranked highly enough that I would tend to think they're going to they're gonna do well to probably get a moderate increase. I think AEW is in a, in a position to, that, that they're, in my view, clearly undervalued by probably multiples in their, in their next deal. Um, but is there any way in which people who are trying to understand the wrestling business uh, like me sh- yeah, is are the values of these two live sports properties, W and AW, do they have any bearing on one another? Um, are, oh, sure. Sure. Definitely being able to say, Hey, we wouldn't have, we, AEW would not have gotten into this business if we didn't see the rights that WWE was commanding and be able to say, Oh, there's some investment going on here. And there's still probably an opportunity for more players in this marketplace and there's money that can be spent and we will be a economical and we believe creatively viable choice, alternative investment, whatever to also join this. So that was important to us. 
I think that we should, you know, when you talk about what, what should I worry about, you know, just like we were talking about earlier, NFTs wasn't a thing three years ago, but they're a thing now. So you got to be thinking a lot about revenue stream things that maybe it's media rights, but media rights is a very particular bucket because you could also say it's TV advertising and that's different than media rights. It could be about OTT money. It could be about, you know, uh, uh, SVOD or AVOD or, you know, getting involved in fast or getting involved in, um, there are different kinds of media rights. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess not just media revenue, but like just the idea that yes, right now it's big network pay, networks playing a lot of money for the rights for a deal or, or Peacock or someone paying the rights for a library along with special events. We're still in the pay-per-view business. I, I, I work very hard on the pay-per-view side and that's, you know, the four events we're doing a year. We just had our most successful event ever. That's no secret. And, uh, that's, you know, I'm monetizing this content in a very discreet way at a very discreet time. And maybe that's what the future is like, but maybe there's some other way that you have that, that financial transaction so that you can still get value from that event, but it's in some other way. If if I'm a TV network and and uh, negotiation time looks to be about two years from now, maybe the middle of 2023 for, for WE, maybe somewhere around that time for AW, depending, I understand there's an option that could extend and, and I think probably will extend the Warner Media w, AW deal. Like if, if I'm a TV executive, does the, the mere existence and relative success of AW sort of make me think, well, why should I pay X for Raw SmackDown? When there's, there's dynamite slash rampage that's doing comparably in some categories. I have no idea. I never worked for a TV, uh, TV network. So I, I you don't talk to them. I do, but I only, I talk to them from my side. I don't know how they think about it on their side. I don't know how they position their choices as that, you know, do they really say, Oh, I'm deciding whether or not to buy this wrestling show or that wrestling show. I would say more that, you know, they're deciding what do I program? What does that audience that programming bring? How much does it cost for us to be involved with this? And, you know, just like we're talking about how next year AEW Dynamite will move to TBS and AEW Rampage will stay on TNT. That's because when you think of your slate of times, you, you, when you plant a flag to say this show is going to be on at this time, 52 weeks a year, that's a big investment from a programming standpoint. And I don't think that anyone says, Oh, I'm choosing my wrestling program to put on here. They're just choosing what are they going to program in a steady slot for these periods of time. And so, for instance, uh, Warner Media made an investment in hockey rights. And so they'd made the choice to bring in hockey rights as part of what they think they want to put on their programming. But that means they have to be very careful then about what they're thinking as their portfolio. So a lot of times it's not so much like, Hey, I want wrestling. I don't want wrestling as much as what does this look like compared to everything else that I'm doing as, they, they just as, want to do what's best for their network. What's going to make them. Yeah. And also, like, what's, what's their vision? You know, like when MTV plays ridiculousness for 23 hours a day, there's a vision there. Like there's a reason they're doing that. But also the one hour that they're not playing that you don't expect them to put on Oprah. Like, you know, it, it, it's it got to be in line with what the rest of the network is doing and what they've carved that to be. 
So to me, that's the idea is that these programmers and these networks really do view it that way. Like what kind of audience am I building for my network? And you know, what's great is a lot of these portfolios have multiple choices. So true TV, you know, that that's much more focused on the live event reality or yeah, or just like unscripted shows. Then TBS is a little bit more focused on the scripted shows and TNT and TNT is much more focused on the sports and action drama drama. Yeah. So I think that's, you know, part of the idea there is that that's what you're competing with is, is what's the vision and the cost and the pros and cons. Rampage, uh, it was announced recently that it, they, they were originally going to, Rampage was originally going to go to TBS along with Dynamite in 2022. That's not happening though. Rampage is staying on TNT. Correct. I got that all straight. Rampage will continue to be on TNT in 2022. But it was originally going to move over with, with Dynamite to TBS. I don't remember the cadence of what the press releases said. I think we announced that we were moving to TBS and I don't remember whether we got as specific as saying all the shows are not on the shows. Part of it is, you know, we're, you do want to message it in advance of a move, but if a move is that many months off, sometimes it's not that important to like spend all the time being in the details and the weeds with everybody and be like, on this date, this exact thing is going to happen nine months from now. Like, so I think it was more to just kind of set the stage originally. And the fact that at the time rampage had not been launched. So it's, it's very hard to like talk about, well, what was the plan for rampage originally when the show had never even aired once. Mm -hmm. So a lot of things were fluid. But yes, I, I don't know if we originally had said that it was going to stay on TNT, but we, we always knew that there was going to have to be some juggling that would happen here in order for us to find just the right time slots. Now, the success of Rampage, I think, then also changes the, that thinking because, you know, if, if something's working, you don't want to mess with it. If something's not working, you might actually try different things. When Dynamite was moving all around the schedule back in May for the playoffs, um, you know, you could, we could see what happened when we tested out Friday nights, Saturday nights, uh, uh, all these other things where that was Tuesday, I think, or Thursday one time we might have even done. Um, we did late night Thursday one time in the September yeah. or August 2020. Yeah. But I just mean like we learned something from that and then we use that to reinforce future decisions. Mm-hmm. So a lot of thinking went into all of this to kind of say, Oh, what are we seeing and what, where can we find success on? And the good news is we think that, you know, our audience will not only come with us and find us, but I think it will be a, a boost to both networks. So I, I'm, we, we love being part my, of that. My wild speculation would have been that Rampage now is six, six or I guess seven episodes and we have six ratings, uh, was doing so well or well enough that somebody said, well, maybe, maybe we just keep it on TNT. Maybe that's the best place for it. And also just got to keep in mind, different nights of the week, right? So you, the competition for certain time slots is very different throughout the week. And hockey is going to be a Wednesday night for, for, for TNT for turn. That's, that's a traditional NHL. Night. If, if that's when it normally is on, I believe it. Yeah. Um, so can you, can you walk us through the process that an advertiser makes for a TV ad? Uh, and, and like how much, how far in advance is that? That's like a quarter in advance, I think, that, that, uh, that an advertiser buys a slot, something like that. I mean, a lot of advertising is sold at the upfronts and, you know, you, which are in May every year. Yeah. So, I mean, but also a lot is sold right in Q4 as well. So 
I, I don't know if I can totally answer your question. Cause again, I'm not an advertiser, so I don't quite know, you know, the details of, of their planning cycle and cadence, but you know, every quarter there's a different amount of spend that happens. Mm-hmm. And a lot of different industries have different times that they're going to push. You know, if you're a hot dog, uh, maker, you're obviously going to want to make sure you're all about July, but, uh, you know, December's maybe not your strongest suit. So you, you would have to imagine that their spend is going to be different throughout those different quarters. In general, I think these big brand portfolios, they usually make a minimum commitment spend. And then they always have the options of, do they want to ramp up that spend or ramp down that spend over the course of a year? And so a lot of times, if a show is being really successful, you might see people saying, yeah, let me spend more on this sector and this time of the year. A lot of times they have guaranteed minimums of kind of what they have to do every quarter. So it's not like you can just be like, well, uh, I, I, I don't like this at all. I'm not spending any more money. It's like, no, you've committed to all this. I'll give you more variance here. And then maybe other times it's very, very much more like, uh, you, this is what you spend and this is what happens. And again, a lot of budgets are use it or lose it. So in a certain sense of marketing, if people don't spend their budget, then they're not always going to get it back. So I do also think that there's a lot of this commitment here that exists just because everyone wants to have the regularity of knowing what they're doing and what the their competitors are doing, but everybody kind of has agreed to spend that money. That said, one of the reasons Nielsen ratings mean something in that industry is people believe that that gives them some data about who's watching their shows and that the profiles that they can get from that, that data, whether it's about income or age or gender or race split size of County that you live in, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, AW has the most affluent, uh, uh, TV audience in wrestling, I believe is how Tony Khan put it to, to Bloomberg, which sounds like the median income for, AW fans is higher than it is for at least W viewers and maybe impact viewers to those. those That's what we're told. Um, I mean, I, I don't get a chance to go and survey everyone and get their tax returns. But, but that's Nielsen data. But the Nielsen data tells us that. And that's exciting. And I do think that helps with advertisers and sponsors to say to them, look, I've got this group of people that um, have money to spend. And, you know, I would, I would, Hey, I would love if car commercials ran all through a AEW programs, but, um, you know, you, you do have to kind of, you build to it and, and hopefully we will continue to build with that. But I think those are really good signs for us. And they are small points of differentiation that we can also give to people when they're asking questions about, you know, the number one question you get from a brand is usually, who watches your show? <laughs> they don't know very much about wrestling or things though. Who watches your show? Who are your stars? You know, those are the things that they want to know a lot of times. So this kind of data is really what people are asking you for. Yeah. And, and then someone showed me the, the breakdown among race and it looks like WWE has been, and probably for years has been over indexing among people of color and particularly among black people. Um, their, their viewership by percentage is something well in excess of 20%, which is, and I think the universe, as far as people watching TV generally is in the high teens of percent. Um, and AEW is, it looks to be more along the lines of what the universe generally is, is is like, is, is there, I'm, I'm, I'm just wondering if, if is AEW missing on capturing an audience of people of color 
that it still needs to work to capture that maybe are more used to and more accustomed to more brand loyal to WWE. I, I don't know if we are missing on that opportunity as much as we are actively working all the time to bring more fans in for wrestling. And on top of that, I think that Tony Khan would say he has brought in a lot of incredibly talented, uh, uh, diverse faces and given them prominent roles on our show as they've earned prominent roles on our show because he has a great interest in, in, um, reflecting all of that. Mm -hmm. And so whether it's, you know, uh, a match where, you know, red velvet is in there, uh, in the middle or Jade Cargill or, uh, other people like that who we were developing new opportunities with. We think that's great. And, you know, TNT obviously has the NBA, which also has a very large African-American population that watches it regularly. So we know that, you know, that we're on a network definitely that, that addresses a lot of people that they do have. Mm -hmm. Um, and on top of that, I would say, you know, the community initiatives that we're working on right now, when Mark Henry came on board, you know, Mark has been very interesting getting to know him. Cause I remember he, he, uh, he would just straight tell you, he's like, I go to these, a boys and girls club in a, in a city and I tell them about AEW and I say, now it's your turn. I need you to show up. I need you to be seen here. I, I'm inviting you. I'm, I'm making the effort to come to see you. So I'm asking connections, to yeah, but, but, fandom. but, and especially in, in, um, uh, people of color, like, like that's something that Mark is really passionate about where he's like, I want to make sure that like all these communities feel like they're being represented, they're being seen. And there, and, and that diversity and that acceptance is part of this. And, uh, you know, for me, when I have a, a brand or an advertiser say, Hey, I saw Sunny Kiss. That was really cool. And I'm like, okay, it connects and it makes sense to somebody here. This opportunity to highlight or spotlight this person that maybe would not have got an opportunity to do that in other companies or other places. Mm -hmm. And I love that. Um, and we'll just continue to, try to grow our share of audience of all, all people. But I certainly would say it's something that we think about. We do definitely think about and we care about, you know, we do think that there's maybe not always been as many opportunities given to everybody equally. And it's good to give them that and opportunities to have like some mentorship and discussion. So it's great to have leaders like Mark in the company who can, you know, really say, this is what is life like been like for me in my career of doing this. And this is what this experience is like. And to have those serious chats and certainly, you know, when we put a, a BLM um, black lives matter uh, thing before one of our, our dynamites, you know, we had a lot of people say terrible things to us after that. And Tony's response was really simple, simple. He's just like, forget them. I have no interest in you. If you're offended by that, I'm, I'm setting out, I'm making this statement and he himself, as someone who is a child of an immigrant, is is not is from from you know a, um, a a Pakistani father. That says a lot too about his experience, where he thinks about you know the fact that it's important that we we give people these opportunities and we reach out to people and say what what's happening, and we're we're trying to listen. We're trying to listen. That's for sure. Um. And maybe this is where we can talk about the roads to the top is coming up. Is that that debuting? I think next week next or week, this Wednesday, week, actually this week after dynamite, either after or before I, 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 I'm, I'm a bad PR person that I don't know which one it I is. I think it's next week after Wednesday, after Wednesday's dynamite or this, this coming week. Yes. Yes. Uh, we, 
we know that the narrative, and I don't have data old enough to like confirm this, but Total Divas premiered in 2013. The, you know, many people believe or will argue that uh, Total Divas coincided with an increase in female viewership for WB. Um, is is a reality show scripted? Scripted? I don't know. What's what's the what's the preferred? Uh, I think script. I think they they call it like unscripted, unscripted t- entertainment. Yeah. Uh, is is roads to the top, but an opportunity to maybe capture some additional female viewers and to funnel them into your in-ring programming. So I don't work on or roads. Just, I don't not even female viewers necessarily, but just new viewers. I don't work on roads to the top, so I Will can't you be appearing on roads to the top. I might actually be in one scene in roads. Will you to the be top. there with your Excel on your laptop? No, I'm hoping for that. No, no, but um, uh. I don't work on Roads to the Top, so I can't say what the vision was when it comes to like what were the goals that they were setting for themselves. I think for us, but that's part. Of, that's like part of the AEW company, right? That's not something that's being done independent of, of all Elite Wrestling, the Roads to the Top program. There, are, there, are, yes, there, there are people working on it who like like Tony has a vested interest in in Roads to the Top because it's it is part of what he he the the media creation that we're doing. It is one element of it. Uh, what I'll say is like to us, it's more that it's an opportunity where people said this story interests us. They would like to do it. We have the right people who know how to create this kind of a show, meaning you have to have editors that understand how do you pace this stuff and, and people that are experienced with shooting in some very, you know, private, semi-public places it's very awkward the way you know think about when you see them eating dinner or eating at a restaurant but then you're forgetting the fact that that means that there's cameramen all around that restaurant huddled in a, a corner doing that and just imagine that a wrestling show with 200 300 people having an extra camera crew following people down the hallway and things it's a tight squeeze but to me i think the idea was that they liked the they liked the story and they thought there was interest there Mm-hmm. They liked the personalities that they realized, like, these people are, um, you know, Cody and Brandy are beautiful people. So, like, they're perfect for, like, having their face and do this. And they're charismatic, outgoing people. They love to be in that that spot. And we do think that there's a demand for people to understand more about the world of wrestling and the worlds that impact wrestling. Like, it, I don't know if Roads to the Top will feel like it's more about wrestling or more about the Rhodes family. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. It, that, that's their life is both those things. Mm-hmm. So I, who, who is it going to appeal to? I do think there's going to be new fans that don't know anything about AEW. They're going to see this and they're going to be intrigued because they enjoy this type of programming and they, they will then get more into seeing those interactions with AEW and how those storylines cross. Part of the challenge is, is that dynamite is weekly in the now. Any show like this is taped in the, in the back. Mm-hmm. So there's the, the getting all these timings just right and correct can be very difficult. So Cody coming back and wrestle this week was great, especially leading to the show. But just like think about all the content on the reality show is months removed from when it was filmed. Mm-hmm. So it's sometimes hard to have quite the synergy exactly from one thing to the other. I also think that total divas made the Bellas big stars. I don't know if it made them big wrestling stars as much as it just made them big stars. And I think that's okay too, is that, you know, their success doesn't necessarily have to be 
just necessarily goes in one direction. It has to be this one factor. Like you're now a, a great attendance draw. Like they're, no. they're a media company, not, not just a wrestling company. Well, but I just mean like, that's fine. That's great for them that like they, they are finding success for these people and the wrestlers as independent con contractors are going to want that success. And that's another version of success. And you know what? People like to act. People like to sing. People like to, to create art and poetry and other things. And like, I think when they have ways to fully express it in more than one way, that's cool. Um, I think you've, you've got to go in a little bit. A little uh, bit. It is now three. Oh, no, I'm all right for Easter. a little bit here. Uh, how much more time do we have then? Maybe about 20 minutes. 20 minutes. Okay. We'll, we'll do like one more question. Let's we'll go here. Um, you, you are involved in making these TV deals. Is that, is that correct? Sometimes. Sometimes. A lot of times. Yeah. And, and the, and TV deals are the most important piece of revenue among the biggest wrestling companies in the world. Like what it's, I have, it's hard for me to imagine like what are, what are the skills that are, important for somebody who's representing a wrestling company or whatever property what are the skills that are important to have when you're making those deals and trying to you know get the best possible deal for your company um i would say the first thing is it sounds trite and silly but think of it as a partnership not as a deal in the sense that you and this person represent your brand now so going forward are they going to be a good representate, represent you in a way that is going to help you? You know, where are they put programming you? How are they programming? Who watches their station? Are you the right program for them? Mm -hmm. Like that's really important to me is making sure that you are the right program for them and they're the right ones for, for you. And that, you know, is the audience that you think is interested in you able to get that program and in the way that they want to consume it. So we have a Hindi version of um aw dynamite that's on sundays on eurosport and that's great to me is that's the point like you need to put it into the way that they want to do that so it can be consumed and figuring that out is a big part of the deal so not even money or anything else it's just how are you going to get my program there what does it mean to you and how do you feel about this content you know because we range all the way from Orange Cassidy and Chris Jericho fighting in a giant orange, you know, orange vat to Nick Gage wrestling Chris Jericho. And there's a pizza cutter, you know, there's a pretty large extremes that we can have highs and lows. And you got to make sure that both of you are on the same page about what that creativity could look like. And that the next question always to them is I say, tell me your marketing plan. Tell me how you're going to make this a big deal. Mm -hmm. And I say, Tell me about what, what connections you have that are going to help us and why, where, why we're here. Cause I don't want to make any deal that's like six months long. I want to make a multi-year deal where I say I'm investing in you and you're investing in me. ITV is a great example of that in the UK where we started with ITV in the beginning and we offer, uh, certain shows that are the two hour version and a one hour version. We offer, you know, other content and we get to have so much exposure through that. And from the very beginning, ITV supported us and was interested in us and we were able to work with them and make this successful. At the same time, they, we have the AW plus service in the UK and that's super successful. And so that, that's an example of where I have a, a arrangement where I can have more than one type of deal where I can say there's different ways for me to reach different fans. And that's really, really important to me of that. Um, the technical specs of television is 
unbelievably important. And we just think of it as, oh, you, sh- you record the show and you give it, but it makes a world of difference whether uh, people are going to be getting it through satellite feeds, through digital feeds, through uh, physical tapes, through You're talking about transferring the video yes. to the broadcast. Not just that, but you have to give them kind of an encoded version of the file. For instance, we usually have an audio, probably I think it's six channel audio. And for instance, one of the channels is just basically the sound of the crowd with no announcer or anything else. So that if you have to redub the show in local language, you will have all the sounds of the crowd and what's happening, but you won't have the announcers or other people, but getting that special kind of six channel thing sent out and encoded, you know, whether NTSC or pal or all the other things, getting that specifically ironed out with these distributors around the world is huge. And then also a lot of it is like different companies have huge ecosystems. So when you're in their ecosystem, sometimes it's much easier to share the content because you can say, hey, this is actually already living on your server. You just need to turn it on for this country and they can show it versus every time you meet a new make a new deal. That's a new bank arrangement and financial discussions. That's new technical stuff. And then if you yourself are paying any money involved in the transmission of the stuff. Every time you're adding a partner, you might also be paying for that cost of the uh, Amazon server or other kind of bandwidth things that happen with it. And then the editing time. It's not just as easy as putting it in a Dropbox. And no, and not just that. Every country has different lengths. So the UK show is actually a few minutes longer than the US show. The US show is usually formatted as, I think, a, a six-segment or an eight-segment show. And the UK show is like formatted as a 12-segment show. Why is that? Uh, because of the way they program their time slots, they have less commercials. So they have to fill more minutes per hour. Okay. Our, our, you know, our average show might have like 44 minutes per hour and theirs might be like 48. Just fewer commercials. I believe it's fewer commercials, commercials but they also, but they put the commercial breaks in different spots and that's what makes it so tough. Almost all the other people, they can kind of do it in the U S format, but mm-hmm. certain countries. So y- you then are re-editing your show. Mm-hmm. My show goes off the air at 10 PM. UK time, it's almost morning. They want it by then. It's got to go to standards and practices because I, you know, uh, uh, that's under UK law. So like that is really tough because now I'm putting editing resources into that. So when you're making a new deal, you have to understand the fully burdened cost to your own organization to be able to, to, um, work together and be partners on this. Mm-hmm. And there are times that you, you like, I'm never going to say, Hey, I don't want to give this show at all to country X. But I will say it doesn't make sense for us to create a burden on the whole organization at the cost of this much added value right now. WWE and other people have huge teams that have been built up over the years to do this. We are still in a much more maturing phase when it comes to that stuff. So it's just a balance of you have to make sure that you're, you're doing the right things. And then you really want to spend a lot of time thinking about what's the marketing message you have for these countries. When we debuted TNT, uh, on TNT Africa, uh, dynamite, we had an Helco do a whole media, uh, press tour with them. Uh, phone calls because he's, he's from South Africa and they loved that. They thought they loved that there was a connection mm-hmm. to something local. And that's the same thing when we do in the UK, we're putting the UK guys on. So you, that's the key too. when we did, um, we just had our deal done in space in Latin America mm-hmm. and we did a whole press tour when they came up for the pay-per-view and we had all our, 
our um, talented, you know, the Lucha Brothers and and uh, Ty Conti and people like that speaking to press in la- local languages, you know, Spanish and, and Portuguese. Portuguese. Exactly. So that kind of stuff is really effective. But you also want to be like, oh, this is how I'm going to be successful. Um, because if you don't have those assets, a lot of times some countries will say, ah, I really wish that I saw more athletes that were from my country on your show. And you have to be like, well, American work visas, You're like that's, it's not easy for me to get 50, you know, 50 people from another country into this country, get them work visas and have them all be stars. Like that's, they're, they're interested in local stars sometimes. A, a lot of times you'll hear from certain countries that like, are, we believe are our fans are much more likely to watch if they see fans, people from our country in the, the show. Who's the uh, Indian star who's just signed with AEW? Satnam Singh. Terrific. Uh, former NBA player? Yeah, former NBA player. I believe worked for the Mavericks. Mm-hmm. Um, seven foot three, I want to say. Uh, and uh, be really exciting to see his growth and experience. But he he's already been a big star in India because of his NBA experience. And I'm really excited that he's taking this opportunity to share his talents with us. And I think he's going to be a really cool, cool, uh, you know, addition to uh, the roster. And I, I think it even mentioned that probably he's training now a little bit more. It might have. I, I, I got a press release. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't recall it. So I, I, you know, he, I think he's training, in fact, at the Nightmare Factory. So okay. you, you never know. Maybe Rose to the Top, you'll see Satinum on there someday. Yeah. Is, is Rampage now distributed in most international markets where you already have Dynamite? Most, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's there's very few that I can think of that only have taken one show. Um, very, very, very few. Yeah. Um, and that's great. You know, we we what we've been most impressed by is that we can say to people, "Hey, there's one more hour," and they don't ever view it as a burden. They view it as a really cool opportunity because for them now it feels like a there's a lot more content coming every week. And B, it just grows the exposure possibility. And they like the fact that they have different formats. So a one-hour show and a two-hour show, they feel different in terms of how they flow and how they look. And they love that, that it's still high-quality stuff. And the fact that most of the weeks it's being taped, meaning that they can consume it usually on a taped version, meaning you can get sent it over in advance rather than worrying about, oh, God – can I get the f- live feed from all the way on the other side of the world? Is nothing going to go wrong today? So you can get get rampage to them Wednesday night or something. like Well, that. it's it's not Wednesday night, but yeah, Thursday. yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's I'm sure by Friday they get the show because it's on. But but just that idea that like that's that is interesting. Like again, not something that fans necessarily care about, but broadcasters they're thinking all about that kind of stuff. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that that's all the time I'm going to take up from you all right. for now. Yeah. Well, my wife, my wife is flying in here to go to the show. And so I keep glancing at, yeah, I keep glancing at my phone. So I got to go to the airport and pick her up. So that's what, that's where my uh, distracted looks have been. How how can people get tickets to AEW? Oh, go to AEWTIX.com. Uh, that has all our shows, AEWTIX.com. And that will have links to any show that we're going to. We'll also have the information about what time the doors are Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Like people always ask me, when's doors? And I'm like, I actually don't know. I show up at the arena at like 1230. So, you know, I, I'm there all day long. So I don't spend a lot of time thinking about doors as much as like our live event manager does. So it's just different for me. But um, uh, I'm really looking forward to the Rochester show. I'm really looking forward to uh, hopefully having some more Russell Nomics, uh, you know, representation at our shows here that, um, you know, hopefully someone's going to get on the road and come down, see us and 
in uh, Buffalo. Maybe maybe he's going to drive all the way down like you did before. Go uh, go for your weekend of, of, of WWE and AEW. Go down to the UBS Arena, see both shows, see what you think, see which one maybe. you liked more. That's an idea. That's, uh, yeah, maybe we'll have to see if I, if I have time for that on the schedule. That's in November, late November, early December. Your, your show is early December. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, beyond that, you know, just write, write us on Twitter, see us on Facebook, like the post, share, and uh, find us on Friendster. Mm-hmm. Follow them on, at Mookie Ghana yep. on Twitter. Yep. And, uh, I don't know, everybody listening probably knows where to find me at, at WrestleNomics, at Brandon Thurston. Sign up for the Patreon, patreon.com slash WrestleNomics. $5 a month to get all the TV ratings, reports that I do just about every weekday. You get access to the WrestleNomics viewership spreadsheet. Over 15,000 data points, something like that, <laughs> spreadsheet that I use and uh, rely on to understand what's happening in the wrestling TV industry. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks to Chris Harrington for joining us. Thanks for having for, me. For visiting the Russellomics headquarters. You bet. And, and visiting the podcast once again. So it's always great to have you here. Thank you. Uh, we'll talk to everybody next time.